Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. So we are discussing access to children and what the law said. Uh, just before we went to a break, I was in conversation with Gary De Silva, chairperson of Fathers for Justice SA, and just giving us uh, a bird's eye view of how serious the situation is in the country at the moment. I want to bring into this conversation now Hugh Reichlin, who's a practicing attorney for the past 33 years, a founder of Hugh Reichlin Attorneys. He joins us now on the line. Thank you so much for joining us, Hugh. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you very much, Pamela. So what does the law say in South Africa around fathers and access? Well, both the mother and the father are entitled to contact and uh, access with their child. Uh, the, the, the terms really can be found in the Children's Act. It's uh, number 38 of 2005. And Section 19 says that the biological mother of a child, whether married or unmarried, has full parental responsibilities and rights in respect of the child. And Section 20 says that the biological father of a child has full parental responsibilities and rights in respect of the child if he was married to the child's mother or if he was married to the child's mother at the time that the child was conceived or when the child was born or at any time between conception and birth if they were together. And Section 21 talks about parental responsibilities and rights of unmarried fathers, okay. that they also have rights of contact and, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the ability to, to parent the child. So that's Sections 19, 20, and 21 of the Children's Act. So it is entrenched in our law. Uh, just give me the distinction there, Hugh. Why are they separate? Why are the clauses separate if, if it gives everybody the same rights? Well, it's a good question, but the, the legislation, I think, contemplated uh, in, in the first section we mentioned, Section 19, yes. and that is the biological mother of a child, whether married or unmarried, has those responsibilities. Yes. So in other words, if she's unmarried, she has automatically, by law, all those responsibilities. Um, I think a father would have to establish that he is, in fact, the father of the child. So it kind of presupposes that she's admitting that he's the father. But if, if, if she denies that he's the father, I guess he would have to prove his paternity before he can activate the, the, the provisions of Section 20. It's interesting, though. It's, it's, it, I still find it interesting because if the mother automatically has those rights and responsibilities in Section 19, yes. um, and now we have Section 20 and 21 that the, then distinguishes the fact that even if he was not married at the time of conception and so on, he has the rights. I am still a little bit confused. So yes, I, um, do you understand what I'm saying? I do. I do. I think it's an excellent question. It's one that I've never thought of before. I've just accepted that there are different sections that deal with, with those issues. But you're quite right. Uh, why would there be a distinction made between them if, as you say, the rights are going to be the same anyway? Mm, okay. All right. Let me bring in Mark Heldenhays, who also joins us now on the line. Mark, thank you very, very much for, for joining us on the line. Tell us your story, Mark. Thank you very much for having me and thank you for letting me tell my story. Well, um, I've been alienated from my child. It's more than two years now. Um, myself and the lady were staying together. The, the, the baby's mother was staying together at the time of conception. And then she left at the, when she was about six or seven months pregnant. And once I wanted to show my interest in seeing my child and being there for the child, they started you know, threatening me with domestic violence and uh, using the domestic courts to keep me away. So they did exactly that. Um, I started sending partials to the school, uh, this baby clothes, and said I will pay off of the 
the birth and I would do this and I would do that and so they went to the domestic violence court and they falsely accused me of domestic violence with no no proof whatsoever. There was no jade aid, no no photos, nothing. And um, I battled for two years in the domestic violence court. Um, in the in in that time, she actually she testified when she was pregnant, and then when it was my turn to testify, they said no, she's under due stress. And it was postponed for five months. At that time, the baby was born. I could not have contact. Uh, they, she gave up her job. She left. She changed addresses. And I've battled two years. And I'm still battling to see my child. I haven't seen him. I haven't, he's been born. Um, I had to go through a lot of processes. Uh, there's a, child, a children's court application hanging. Uh, they can't find her. I've done traces. Every time we trace her, she moves away again. So it's been a hectic two years. It's been thousands and thousands of rands, um, a domestic violence case against me, which is, is totally absurd. There was no evidence. Uh, the magistrate didn't even take into account nothing that I said, you know. So it was, it's, it's been a hard, hard journey, and it's been more than two years now. Uh, I think, um, if I can correct, uh, May this year, the baby is two years old already, so, and I haven't had any contact. And whatever I did, if I went to the gynecologist to see if I could pay off of the, or pay the doctor's fee, I was told that I was a stalker. So, um, yeah, it's it's been a hectic journey, if I can say it like that. So, so, Mark, obviously you know what I'm listening out for now that I've been better educated. Mark, were you mm. married to her, or were you just living with her? No, we were just living together at that time. You know, we were living almost a year together. She fell pregnant, and she was still pregnant when she left. Um, and I knew, you know, what they said. They threatened me. They said, I won't see my child. And I started doing positive things. I paid money into her account to show that I want to be interested. You know, I want to pay maintenance. Uh, I sent school things, uh, you know, clothing to the school. I went to the gynecologist. I done positive things to show, you know, I'm the father. You can, you know, the baby was conceived in our home while we lived in the, the same roof. Mark, I need to ask you a very sensitive question, and I'm sure, yes. Hugh, you're probably asking the same thing. How do you know you're the father? <laughs> Well, I believe I'm the father. I mean, I'm, I've never denied that I'm. She says no, no, no. that I've I, denied. No, yeah. no, no. I'm not saying what you think. I'm saying yeah. how do you know you're the father? Could well, that be it, thing. Hugh? Could that be it? Well, it's possible. Uh, it, it sounds to me, though, that because of the, the conduct of, of uh, his former partner by hiding away and being obstructive and, and laying all these charges, it sounds to me that she's just being obstructive and difficult. Um, and, and it, there seems to be that kind of alienation at play over here. She hasn't uh, marked, did, did she specifically ever say to you that you're not the father, or has she just been difficult and dysfunctional in the way she's treated you? Well, her words to the court is, she said, I denied that I'm the father, but uh, I've actually said I am the father. <laughs> I mean, she was pregnant while she was staying with, with me. So, hey, Mark, it's, uh, so did she deny it? Did she say to you, you are not the father? No, not not once. No, not no, no, once. no. She's yeah. saying that he initially denied being the father. That's yes, what she. Yes. That's her defense, right? Uh, yeah, uh, that's, yeah, that's what she was going on, and uh, and that's absolutely not true. Because if you could see my my actions from the beginning was I sent partials to the school where she was working. I sent you know I was sending clothes and baby stuff because I knew you know when they said to me that I won't see the baby, I knew the the modus operandi was to keep me away from the baby, her and her father. So. Uh, she was also alienated from her mother, and the father was also um, the one that was initiating that part. So I kind of see there's a there's a 
there's a pattern with their lives also, and it's happening to me now. And um, yeah, well, I'm still battling and still fighting. All right, I'm, I'm going to ask you to, to to think about it a little bit, Hugh, because we we obviously need to help Mark and see what his defence is and where possibly there are gaps in in his story and how he can move forward. Let me just take a call in the meantime, Kerry. You're calling us from Cape Town. Good afternoon, Kerry. Hi. Good afternoon, and thank you for a great topic. Um, I'm on the executive committee of the Family Association for Mediators of the Western Cape, and I just wanted to alert Dad who we have a great deal of empathy for, that our organization is going to be making um, mediation available from the 23rd of March for a free week of mediation to all families. They can contact our organization, and we will put them in touch with either attorney or a trained psychologist or mediator in their area. The number is 021-982-7882. But I really just want to encourage Mark and many other fathers. We're very sensitized to this issue. We're actually going to be hosting a conference in August this year, which will be covering many of these issues. And um, I think what we're trying to aim for is, is that these situations are not always resolved by the courts via litigation. You know, it's a family matter, and we try to try to take this off the gender route. This is a family that's hurting. And um, we want to support these families. Mm. Sorry, I'm busy driving. Kerry, you time. make such yeah. an interesting point. Thank you so much for calling in, Kerry, in Cape Town. I want to bring in Felicity Guest as well, who's a social justice and human rights activist, founder of Child Maintenance Difficulties in South Africa. Felicity, I wonder if you were listening to that conversation between Mark and, and Hugh and your take on that story. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Mm. The one thing that... Um, I don't think people realize until they actually step into this arena is just how complex and layered and um, normalized, but not in the public domain, it is. That is the thing that when you enter into it, that you suddenly realize how prevalent it is. And then one asks a question is, why, why are there so many cases and what are the problems? And those are the questions that we have to unpack over, um, over a period of time. So, you know, it's, it's um, just getting back to the different rights, whether you are married or not. So it's also a bit patriarchal because there was this assumption that people will get married and have children and therefore children's rights are protected underneath that agreement. And it's been amended over the years because there's probably more people that are having children out of marriage than in marriage. So the laws have kind of been amended, but there's also, there's so many things to take into account, and that's why there's so many gray areas. So obviously, I deal quite a lot with women. And the one thing that really, you know, um, was surprising for me is learning the different cultures and um, is that this damages, that if damages aren't paid, then normally the woman's family deny him, um, acknowledge that he's the father and deny him rights. So that, that became, I became very aware of that. And um, the lawyer can, can just elaborate maybe on that, is what, in my opinion, the child's rights is paramount so that would override like cultural but i'm not an expert in that because um our constitution is very clear that the best interest of a child is paramount so that's what i'm saying in my opinion i think that it would override the cultural um belief and practice and that seems to be quite prevalent but also if you repeat something enough it becomes the truth so people believe that um because it's also you know uh, women were traditionally the primary caregivers because 
of, of the social construct that all of us have been born into. But the truth is, is that not all mothers are, are nurturers and, and the best place for children. There are a lot of mothers that are completely negligent, yet there still seems to be a lot of protection over that as opposed to giving them to the father who can offer the child everything and more protection. So I think that a lot of the work needs to be done in really dismantling this patriarchal social construct that we are all bought into. And that's where we are, I think, now in terms of dealing with these rights. For you know, Felicity, I, I have to take this because I, I do think we've 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 missed an opportunity here to also bring in uh, other cultural aspects, and you are absolutely right about that. And in fact, I, I I think there is a, an issue there around the children's rights being paramount to culture. I don't quite believe that's the case, actually, and I think we should have done better in finding somebody to explain that to us because there are cultural practices that trump the child's rights. In other words, the process should follow that the man, for instance, acknowledges the child and, 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 and somebody, nobody asks, what does the child want? It's, so, it's, it's more like, this is what needs to have happened, or this is what needs to happen, not what's in the best interest of the child, if that makes any sense. Does anybody no, want it, to add on to that? No, absolutely. I mean, I've had many conversations with women where they say, I would like to one, I'd like him to have a relationship with the child, and I would like to take him to maintenance court. But my parents have said, if I do that, then I'm on my own. Then yeah. they will stop supporting me in every way that oh. they can. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and it's not for me to impose my Western culture onto and disrespect someone else's culture, but it certainly raises big concerns for me because who the child's rights are paramount. Yeah, I mean, as you said, those those are your views, and and those are the views of the constitution. But we live in a society that does actually have lots of different cultural practices that 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 have ways of dealing with this, not necessarily by the law. Um, Hugh, you you want to comment on this? So what we're hearing, we've just spoken a little bit about cultural practices, but there are still magistrates who. Even though the law says what it says about the rights of both parents, do not necessarily follow. Is that correct, Hugh, you, from your experience? You know, at the end of the day, judges and magistrates are people. Mm. And, and I think it, it's true to say that it's very difficult to find somebody that is completely objective, that doesn't come to the table with their own preconceptions and with their own history. Obviously, one would hope that every judicial officer is completely objective and, and, and you know, applies the, the law correctly without prejudice, without favor, and comes to the right decision. But, Pamela, I think what, what you're touching on is the truth, and that is that it's human beings that are sitting in judgment, and sometimes it's very difficult to understand the rationale for the reasons. We do have rights of appeal where a person, if a person is unhappy with the decision, that you can take it to a higher court and hopefully, you know, find a judge, a judge or judges with a different point of view. All right, let's open the lines on 0891 to absolutely anybody. You've got an issue like this and you want it to be dealt with. This is possibly the time for you to talk about it and, and air it out and see if we cannot assist you. I mean, I don't know, Hugh. I don't know what is it that you may have, uh, you know, you may have thought of in the in the few minutes that well, I've given you with regards to to Mark's case. 
So, Pamela, look, there are a number of issues, but before we go forward, I just want to refer once again to the Children's Act, because I think that anybody that wants to educate themselves about them, you know, their, their rights to their child and, and what the law says should please look at the Children's Act 38 of 2005 or consult an attorney that can take you through it. But the two sections that came to mind when, when uh, Felicity was speaking, mm. the one is Section 9, which says the following, best interests of the child paramount. So, you know, Pamela, when you were talking about cultural uh, influences on a child, etc., listen to what this section says. It says, in all matters concerning the care, protection, and well-being of a child, the standard that the child's best interests is of paramount importance must be applied. So no matter what the cultural background or everything else is, here you see an explicit section in the Children's Act that says that once we're talking about the care, protection, and well-being of a child, it's what's in the child's best interests. And I'm going to add two more sections to this because I think even just reading the words, I think, helps people to get clarity on the law and how protective the law is of a child in particular. Uh, Section 10 of the Children's Act says it's called child participation. Every child that is of such an age, maturity, and stage of development is to be able to participate in any matter concerning that child, has the right to participate in an appropriate way, and views expressed by the child must be given due consideration. So here you see an amazing innovation in the law where we, first of all, are establishing that what is in the best interest of the child is paramount, and second of all, that the courts are called upon to, to hear the voice of the child which I think is a tremendous advance uh, in in the way that we deal with children. And then finally, you've got Section 7, which actually specifies what is in the best interest of the child. And it goes into great detail. There's like two pages on it. But where it talks about the child's age, maturity, and stage of development, their background, any other relevant characteristics of the child, a disability that the child might have. The capacity, we must look objectively at the capacity of the mother and the father to reach out and to be able to nurture the child, etc. All right, I'm, so gl- the- I'm going to give everybody a chance to respond. I know Gary has something to say. You know, you know, Hugh, um, it's fantastic, but it's on paper. And societies don't problem. function that way. And And the problem here is that other things happen even if the law states X, Y, Z. And, mm-hmm. and people are, 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 are made in such a way that there are consequences sometimes yes. to just following the law. So the law is not always, you know, the response and the answer to everything. Absolutely, that's what the law says. But yes. what are the consequences for people who follow that law and how they live in society and integrate with society? That's, that's a bigger question. Obviously, we want to follow the law, but we, we also have to think about what it means for all of us, the child, the mother, the father, and, and how they get themselves entangled in all of this and how we all move forward going i mean it's it's very complicated as felicity said let's take more of your calls when we come back on 0891 it's 2 30 though let's go to uti lesaku for the latest in headlines life happens with pinelo modine Thank you so much for staying with us. We are on Life Happens, and this is SAFM. My name is Pimelo Motine. A big discussion we're having this afternoon on the Men's Forum, it's just discussing access to uh, our fathers for their children and, and the difficulties that dif- different fathers have. We've been in discussion with uh, Mark Haldanez, who's a father, and his journey, two-year journey, with the now the um, estranged partner and his, his difficulties trying to get access to his child. We've also got a guest, uh, Gary De- 
Silva in studio with us, Chairman of Fathers for Justice SA um, and Felicity Guest, social justice and human rights activist. I've also got Hugh uh, Rechlin, who's a practicing attorney, also giving us his take on some of the issues that we've been dealing with. Patrick, you're calling us from Secunda. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, uh, Camelo and your guest. Good afternoon. Uh, my, my, my question is, is it in the best interest of a girl child to to be following a mother around that can that cannot actually afford to take care of the child and that has uh, two three other children to take care of to be getting married every two three years to a different husband uh, uh, what I'd love to know is it is in the best interest of the child right. and uh, and uh, as a father that taking responsibility does it mean only paying for the child's bills when there are bills and not making decisions as to where which school the child goes to and how much time the child spends with the mother or with either parent all right thanks very much for that patrick we'll we'll respond to that in a short while let me just go quickly to graham first in johannesburg hello graham um hi good afternoon everyone um, yeah, I want to pick up on this question of, of um, the, uh, the, the, um, the history of the patriarchal system. You know, the Department of Social Development published statistics which says that almost two-thirds of the, of the households in South Africa today, the parents live apart. But the laws were written in a time when families got, got um, parents got married and stayed together for life, whether that was the rural areas and traditional marriages or even in the cities with, with nuclear families, that was the norm. But in today, today's world, that isn't the norm. The opposite is the norm. Most families are two household families. And the law doesn't recognize that. It's written for a situation where that isn't the Absolutely. case. So the problem then is that you have two parents who both instinctively want to look after their kids, want to spend time with them, want to contribute to their welfare. And then when you get into a legal process, the legal process has a winner and a loser scenario, mm. which means that mm. one of the parents is never going to be happy. And when you go into the, 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 the issues, whether it's the dirty tactics or whatever it is, it all comes down to we're still fighting for somebody to be the winner. And who's the loser? The child. Because the, the child deserves both parents and doesn't get both parents. Graham, and that's thank wrong. You. Thank you for that. I mean, there are a couple of problems. Uh, Gary, I want you to come in there because number one, they're seven days, right? Not eight days. The number of days in the week are not equal. Right. If there is one child and if you want to split the child in half, you okay, can't. So it requires. No, no, what okay. I'm saying is mm-hmm. I get what he's saying. But, you know, the Children's Act has declared on this. And so actually everybody's supposed to get the rights. And this thing about equal, it's never, ever going to be quite equal, is it? Well, it's it's not going to be a hundred percent equal all of the time. But I mean, like there's fifteen, uh, there's thirty days in the month. There's fifteen days uh, per uh, every cycle, and what should be happening is that the child should have a hundred percent of contact with both of its parents all of the time. Um, what should be happening is is that invariably you've got the parents living in two separate abodes. So this is where it requires that the that the parents actually grow up and behave like adults, and. Um, they should be the, the the child should stay in 
what was ostensibly the matrimonial home, for want of a better description. And, and the parents. Well, if it, that's gone. Okay. Well, if that, but but you get under you understand what I'm trying to say here is is that they're, they're, the both parents are living separately, mm -hmm. in, invariably. Mm. So. You expect the children, and we call them suitcase babies, yeah. because they're they constantly in and out of the house. So what should be happening, the mature adult thing to be doing, is that the child stays in the one house, and the parents move in and out of the house, and they go back. The, the, because you've got two houses, go uh, to the, the, the parents should be doing it. That um, is revolutionary. I mean, Felicity, you you obviously, and I was listening to the one caller earlier. I'm so sorry I forgot his name. The first caller after the headlines. And what I was hearing, and this is obviously the case all the time. The very reason that people split up is because they cannot agree on number one, possibly values and so on. So mm. there will always be somebody who badmouths the other. So I was just listening to the tone of the caller who said she gets married every single day to a new husband and blah, blah, blah. Do you want a child to be with that kind of a parent? Of course, this person doesn't like the other person. That's why they're not together anymore. Felicity? Yeah. Um. Yes, that's what I say, you know, it's very laid and complex, and there's definitely no, not a one-size-fits-all. And a child has an absolute right to an equal relationship with both parents. And I hear the argument for, um, you know, a house for the child and the parents move, or the child spending equal time with the other parent, but let's be realistic. And in this country, and probably in most places in the world, move suburbs for work reasons or whatever and yes while we all have got to focus on the best interest of the child you know some people's jobs require them to move or they're completely if, if a person has not worked and they've stayed at home and looked after the kids and the marriage ends and they then got to move back with family or friends and it's not in the same place where the father is these are realities and you need to say these exist so what do we how do we navigate these so obviously it's not a one size fits all and we're Okay, so obviously Felicity's line is giving us problems. I'll give you a chance to uh, to respond now, Gary. Isaac, you're calling us from the Northern Cape. Good afternoon, Isaac. Quickly for me. Hello, Isaac. Welcome to the show. All right, so Isaac's line is also giving us a problem. I'll c I'll come back to you. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll continue with this after more. Uh, after. SAFM one hundred four to one hundred seven nationwide. I'm in conversation with mostly dads, a lawyer and uh, an activist. We're discussing access to children. And it's not a fun conversation. I've got to tell you, Hugh Rechlin, who's a practicing attorney, joins me on the line. Felicity Guest, social activist, is also on the line. Mark Haldenhays, who's a father. And we were just discussing his experiences as a father for two years, difficulties accessing his child. And he says he is the father. And he says he wants access. He wants to pay, but denied access. Gary De Silva sitting with me in studio chairperson of fathers for justice essay gary you were eager to go there what's your response to what felicity said before we went to the break? you know this is the thing that we hear all the time that it's very complex and and difficult and and layered and all of those kind of good things effectively you have the children together you raise the children together it's about time that we start behaving like adults we need to stop all the nonsense and we need to be doing what's in the best interest of the children but having said that and in and in, in, in uh, response to um um What's it, Hugh Reichler? Yes, yes. Uh, around the, listening to the children. By the time that the adults have finished playing their games and all their nonsense, you're looking at five years, five to eight years down the line at a cost of anything between 600,000 rand and two, uh, 600, and 2 million rand, 
and you're walking away at the end of the day, same as or worse off going through the legal the, the, the legal uh, fraternity. And there is no other business model that I am aware of that you go and you get such bad service than through the, the legal justice system. If if any of the major banks or, or card, car people ran their uh, business in the manner of which lawyers and psychologists and social welfare workers and mediators ran their business, they would be out of business in nanoseconds. The only business model that fits this whole family law system is a con job. Hugh? You've heard this before. Many people come through your doors and are disgruntled and are unhappy. And actually, they believe you quite like it the way it is, don't you? No, look, I I, I strongly disagree with that. Um, You know, I can't say to you that that there aren't people within the various professions that are that are driven by remuneration but I, I do believe that there are many sincere mental health practitioners many lawyers many advocates and many other people out there that genuinely want to bring about a solution to a situation now if i can just pick up on two things yes. I, I, I agreed with what gary said in terms of parents having to mature and and parents being responsible for a lot of the trauma that their children face and I think that that's because they have agendas. They want to punish the other person for the, the relationship and what happened in the relationship. And in punishing them, they are unfortunately using their children as pawns. So I think that the primary problem was identified by Gary, <clears throat> and that is irresponsible, immature, and sometimes plain wicked parents that, that are causing terrible harm to their children because of their own personal agendas. That's, I yeah. think, number one. So number yeah. two... Okay. Yep. Number two, I agree with Kerry that there is a great space for mediation in this country. And I qualified a number of years ago as a mediator. And the, the, one of the first things that I deal with when a person comes to consult with me is, can I phone your spouse or your partner or whoever it is and ask them to come in and let's have a meeting and let's see what we can resolve by sitting around a table and talking. They can come in without prejudice and let's see what we can do together. And the, the, the speech that I normally give to both parties is, once you've had a child together, you are joined by the hip, so to speak, for the rest of your lives. There will be milestones in that child's life that both of you want to celebrate. So have a, the, the best divorce that you possibly can have. Come and to me. Big pardon. Move on. Work, let's work out a parenting plan. I, you can bring in attorneys. Often do an I bring in a psychologist or a social worker to assist in drafting a parenting plan, and you get buy-in from both parents of the child. How contact is going to work and how often it's going to be. If I can just add that there have been many very positive developments in the law. You know, a number of years ago, the non-custodian parent would only have a right to see the child on alternating weekends and alternating holidays, etc. But today, we're moving far more towards a very subjective view, which parent is actually going to be able to parent the child better, how close do the parents live to the school, Uh, can we have shared residency, and I've had a number of cases where we have uh, a tremendous amount of cooperation between them in sharing the child's time during the week almost equally, and just to have a really close and deep analysis of what each child, what the child needs and what the parents are capable of. You know, sometimes you have a father, for example, and I've had it, where he says that because of my work commitments, I actually can't get, and because of where I live relative to where my wife now lives, uh, I can't get to see the child during the week, but what I would like is telephonic contact 
each night of the week from a certain time to a certain time. So, you know, it's not a one-size-fits-all that every parent wants to see their children equally. There are so many ways, as we've said, there's so many levels, and if you drill into it, there's so many ways of, of really trying to come to an accommodation where people really put the best interests of their children so, first. So, so, so let, me, let me just bring in Felicity. And, and Mark, I mean, Mark is a hell of a case study for me because he represents so much, especially to you, Felicity. And, and Mark, also respond to this because essentially we are dealing with wounded people are we not and and we miss that we are now answering questions around the law and what the constitution says and what the child act says and so on the children's act says but we are dealing with wounded people and none of us have asked mark well mark actually do you think maybe something else is going on with your ex it's maybe not about the money. You know, you keep talking about, I want to pay the maintenance. I want to do this. I want to do that. Felicity, nobody's asking where and how deep the hurt is. I can, I think if you allow me to answer that. Um, yes. I think, I think a lot of people sit with PTSD in, um, because of things that happened in their youth. I mean, if you take uh, in consideration what happened to uh, the baby's mother when she was younger. She was alienated from her, uh, from her mother, and then she was, if I can say, molested by her grandfather. So she never dealt with these things. And then at a later age, there was a lot of trauma, I mean, broken relationships. And I can speak about my own life like that. Because, let, 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 uh, let, me just hold, uh, let me just stop you there, Mark. And I'll tell you why I'm stopping you, because she's not here to respond for herself. The point I was trying to make was... We we haven't invested as much time. You are right. In in what actually is going on with these people? Our response is a legal response. We are not dealing with the. the these are human beings, and these are yeah. wounded people. And yes, and maybe absolutely. somewhere there is the answer to how we can sort all of the scary. Um, look, I absolutely agree, one hundred percent. You are dealing with with people that are walk, working, they walking wounds yes. basically, and mm. and until we start addressing the, the 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 societal and the social and the psychological uh, issues at at play yeah. here, yeah. and and start mm. constructing a society that works for the benefit of all, yeah. then we are not going to address this. And 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 to put it in perspective, I mean. I I'd spent 180,000 rand on litigation and I wasn't getting anywhere and I just stopped the litigation and you know what I have contact with my children through no parenting plan through no court order I have contact with my children every single day and um, I'm able to call and see and visit and they are able to be with me at any time okay and what it requires is you to grow up and behave like an adult Ota you're calling us from Cape Town good afternoon Good afternoon. I Gary and Felicity. You've I've spoken to you on a few occasions. I'm one of those fathers whose ex is working for a big law firm. I've oh, been alienated for six years now. I followed all the steps on the court order. I actually have um, shared custody. I can see my kids every second weekend. And then after the divorce, the alienation started. I was divorced in 2015, and then they tried every trick in the book, and then it's a psychological report, forensic reports, and all this. Although her and my ex and the lawyer agreed to the parenting plan, they said, no, it's fine that dad can see his kids. And after the divorce, they said, no, you can't see your kids because you're a threat to your kids. So my understanding is, um, how can a lawyer 
not follow a court order, and then you as a father has to spend thousands, I'm almost at 500,000, you have to spend thousands of rands just to fight for access to your kids where the children's access to the best interest of your child. So the best interest is not taking or eliminating the one parent from your kid's life. Vota, thank you so much for but, your take. Let's yeah. take a quick break and we'll come back. I'll come. Yeah. I do you see you, Felicity? I'll get you a chance to respond after this. Life happens with Pinelo Mutine. All right, let's. We we've got just a few minutes left. We continue with our conversation around access for fathers, and it's it's really a difficult conversation. Hugh Rachlin is a, a law, and uh, he's an attorney, and uh, he comes from Hugh Rachlin Attorneys. I'm also joined by Felicity Guest, social activist Mark Haldenhay's father, who's just been giving us his account of his difficulties for two years accessing his child. And Gary De Silva, a chairperson of Fathers for Justice. Felicity, before we went to the break, you wanted to comment on on what was said. Yes, I just want to say that this is this is my my how the way that I look at it. We're in crisis. We're in ICU. Okay, and we have people that are running around doing trying to solve these almost flatlining, and it's presenting itself in society on many many aspects. And we see that. So we have to deal with the crisis. We have to stem the bleeding. But at the same time, we really need to be focusing on the causes of these and there are social problems. And that is where a huge amount. Of, of, of resources actually needs to be made available to deal because it addresses many other issues, not just what we end up seeing in, in family matters. Because this is just where it all comes together. Because family is where we all start with our lives, and it's broken. Ah, sure. Mm, uh, Karen, absolutely. let's take a call quickly yeah. from Karen. Karen, good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thank you. Thank you. Go ahead, Karen. Hi, I'm one of the the mothers that has been accused of parental alienation, um, and unfortunately, my story is is quite sickening. There's a lot of perjury on court documents. My child has seen physical. She's been through emotional abuse with her father. She hasn't seen him or had any contact in two years with her father. He's basically sat back but tells the family advocate and his lawyers that I'm alienating him from our daughter. Um, I let her answer the phone. She doesn't want to. I give her the choices when he phones. And, yeah, I'm being emotionally abused by him. And so are many of the mothers out there. Hmm. Mm, Yes, anybody. Go ahead. Go ahead, Mark. It was it you, Mark? I think it's you. No, that was me. I don't think this is like a gender-based thing. I think it's, you know, women and men go through these things. And um, I've I've got a story with a lady that's also being um, alienated from her children because of the the ex-husband or the ex-boyfriend and uh, what he's doing to her. So, you know, I think it's happening everywhere. And um, uh, everybody's got a story. And I I believe that children are being used as weapons to hurt the other parents. And I just don't believe it's in the best interest of the children to to go through these things. And like she said, perjury, lies, that's happening. Uh, A lot of lies, a lot of perjury. And I believe those things have to be clamped down. I mean, if you go to a domestic violence court, there should be a better investigation going into that just by looking at both the history of both parents or maybe going back deeper and just looking at it by like just taking one part of the story and saying, okay, this happened now, 
we, we, we agree with it and there we go. And it's being used to alienate one parent from the other parent. There should be more done on on that level. I mean, it's easy to put a lie down. If you go to the police station now and you put a, put a story down and say, listen, my daughter has been sexually assaulted, the case is immediately being opened. There's a the next step that you can take and then you, you alienate the child from the father or the mother because you, you put a lie down. And, and, and right, these things you. should be dealt with, I believe. It, it. All right. Okay. Thank you so much, uh, Mark, for your take and, and uh, your story really uh, touching a lot of people there. Mark Holden Hayes, who's a father, who's just giving us his account of his journey. Gary, you want to quickly say Okay, something? so protection orders are the basis and that is where they are. That is where the start of the alienation begins. Um, it is used as a silver bullet to deny the one parent um, right of contact and care. Um, and we are we are led to believe that in excess of 52% of protection orders that are issued uh, in South Africa are done on the basis of perjury and false accusations. Mm-hmm. The ability to go and now have those overturned cost uh, thousands of uh, rands and can take anything upwards of 18 months to, to, to three years to, to have those overturned. The, 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 the person that has made the, the false allegations and the perjury, there's no punitive retributive action that is taken against them. Um, it is perjury. It is a criminal offense. And we are saying it's about time that the, 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 the courts start bringing not only punitive, ac- uh, um, uh, punitive action against the, the, the parent that is making the false accusations, mm-hmm. but also charging the lawyers, the advocates, the psychologists, the social welfare workers that aid and abet in the perjury. Because this is where it starts, and then what happens is, is at the end of the day, you, you've now been, <clears throat> sorry, you've now been denied right of contact to your children for for eighteen months, three years, and then they turn around and say to you, you haven't bothered to make any contact. Gary, I'm going to stop you there quickly because we've got Solomon Montlane now. Oh, he, Solomon, my know, brother, <laughs> has been on on hunger strike for a while. I believe he stopped now because he was denied access to his child. Solomon, thank you so much for making the time to talk to us. Good afternoon. Thank you so much. Good afternoon to you. We're so sorry you've joined us so late, Solomon, but just quickly your story for us, please. Uh, you, you, know, uh, 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 you know, after this hard uh, fighting so hard, having to go through the hunger strike, uh, that's when now the Department of, 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 of Social Development is appointing their social workers looking into my story. Heavy, they have just visited my children. I've got a report that, you know what, your children are responding very well. They want to see their father. You know, the, the problem here, they, they were refusing to take my side of the story. They were refusing to listen to the voice of a child. These are the children I've been there from the time they were born until their mother died. All the false allegations that were made by their grandparents against me, it's something else, which also I had my own allegations against them, but they decided to take one side of the story. Three years later, they've separated me from my children. And I'm saying, uh, let our fights, which they couldn't win when they, their daughter was alive, they must, those fights shouldn't affect the innocent children. I, I don't need my children to be erased from the grandparents. They must not also erase me from my children. Whatever allegations, let us fight them away from the children. I will never, ever speak bad of the grandparents in front of my, of my children because it, it will not change that, that those are their granddaughter and grandson. 
So they drink all these accusations, and it affects the children at the end of the day. You have, as a father, you have to pay lots and lots of money to the social workers. 900 rand, per, I mean 600 rand to, per, per hour to see your children. Sure. That is Solomon uh, Montlani, who, who obviously, as we heard, had gone on a hunger strike. He's now stopped the hunger strike. But I have to thank all my guests who've been here. Gary De Silva, thank you so much for coming in. Really, thank you for coming in. Mark, he's, he, he's gone now, but he was a parent talking about his experience. Hugh Rackling, practicing attorney, also helping us with some of the issues of Felicity Guest, social activists. I do want to throw forward to Maschabam Dolu, who's coming up next on the focal point from three to six. And what are they talking about today? They're talking on both sides of the story. There's a feature on uh, challenges of scholar transport in the Northwest. This after learners in the Stillfontein area missed three weeks of school due to lack of scholar transport. That coming up. Also Australia denying refugee status to a number of South Africans who try to enter the country. That and more coming up at three o'clock. It's been wonderful. Thank you everybody. Let's do this again tomorrow. One, two, three. It's now three o'clock.